This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, October 16th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Now that the Supreme Court's Janus case has clarified the role that unions must stick to when representing workers, what's next for making sure that those workers are no longer compelled to support politics they don't like? Robert Alt is president of Ohio's Buckeye Institute. We talked about Janus 2.0 at the State Policy Network annual meeting last week. It ends up being uh, uh, an interesting patchwork, uh, and it depends a great deal on state and on the particular unions. So one of the first things to recognize is that um, uh, a number of the unions have taken a very restrictive view of what it is that the Janus decision held. Um, and you know, once again, Janus was really fundamentally about freedom and money. Uh, it was about whether or not public sector workers could be compelled to pay uh, agency dues or fees to support collective bargaining speech with which they potentially disagree. Uh, and the the key language from the decision is that uh, the Supreme Court requires prior affirmative consent from the worker before funds could can be transferred legally to the union. Um, a number of unions have take, have taken the position and and state so expressly that the decision only applies to pe- to those individuals, those public sector workers, who were non-members at the time that the decision had come down. Because so, of Mr. Of course, Mr. Janus was not a member of the union, and he still had to pay these fees. That's correct. And so, I mean, just just sort of to unpack that for a moment, um, prior Supreme Court decisions had said you can be forced to pay for collective bargaining speech, but we can't force you to be a member of the union. And so there was a provision, essentially there was a provision in which individuals could opt out. They could become what were called agency fee payers. Now, in most situations, this was cool comfort. Um, Take Ohio, for instance. An agency fee payer under state law uh, was is required to pay up to the unions could charge up to one hundred percent of the union dues uh, as the agency fee as those chargeable expenses related to collective bargaining, and so interestingly enough, in most of the cases that I've seen, the agency fees amounted to about eighty five percent of what the the union dues were. In order to become an agency fee payer, you had to jump through a number of hoops. And in Ohio, for instance, you had to do so on an annual basis. You had to know when the opt-out window was. Oftentimes, it was about a two-week window. You had to file the paperwork and do so properly, uh, in some cases in triplicate. Um, uh, you had to face uh, the the uh, the scorn of the union officials in your workplace, and for all this, you got fifteen cents on the dollar back. So there, as you might expect, a relatively small percentage of individuals in the workforce went through this onerous annual process in order to become an agency fee payer. Uh, and I think the unions, in some sense, were counting on this. A number of the unions in Ohio and in states across the country renegotiated their collective bargaining agreements in May, just before uh, they knew the decision would come down, and extended the period in which it would apply before an individual would be able to opt out. So we've been approached, for instance, by workers in Ohio uh, who have sought to avail themselves of their rights under the Janus decision not to pay union dues or agency fees, to seek to opt out uh, uh, of their unions, 
only to be told, no, in fact, your collective bargaining agreement does not permit you to do so until, say, the year 2022. Um, uh, there's not even an opt-out win- There's not an opt-out window this year. There's not an opt-out window next year or the year thereafter. So uh, you can see these are the sorts of questions. You know, some of these things could potentially be solved by by legislation, but a number of them are going to have to be solved, I believe, through litigation. Now you're talking about opt-out windows. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Janus decision itself doesn't make, uh, as far as I know, doesn't really make reference to those things. It's just that the payment of these fees is, uh, or the requirement that these fees be paid is simply unconstitutional under the First Amendment. And specifically, it's the requirement of prior, yeah, the key words, prior affirmative consent. Uh, consent matters. Uh, and so the the unions take the position that if you are a union member per se, uh, their argument seems to be per se you must have consented to uh, to paying these dues. Um, that I, I think is a an exceedingly generous uh, and self serving view with regard to to what the case holds. Okay, why is that? Because it, it strikes me as perfectly reasonable that if you've joined a union, you're signing on to the package of benefits that that union uh, would provide you. Uh, well, in in terms of that, uh, number one, they need to pro- the court makes clear that they have to pro- meet an evidentiary standard to demonstrate the individuals did engage in prior affirmative consent. Number two, uh, the individuals who did so uh, did so prior to the establishment uh, and the clarification of their rights under the Janus opinion. Um, in some in some states, I've talked to to individuals where. Uh, the presumption, in fact, is union membership. When they uh, begin in the workplace, they actually have to sign something in order, uh, in order not to be a member of the union. They don't have to sign a card in order to be a member of the union. So there are some even evidentiary questions in some cases as to whether or not uh, the individuals have opted in or whether they simply have failed to opt out. Failing to opt out wouldn't constitute, uh, to my mind, prior affirmative consent uh, in those in those particular cases. If you if the presumption is the default is you're in the union unless you actually sign something to opt out. Okay, so uh, going forward, it seems that there's a there's a reasonable question then: How far back? Can these individuals who have, in light of the Janus decision, had their rights violated by ha- having these fees extracted uh, out of their paychecks, how far back should they reasonably be able to go to say, I am owed this money? Well, and and there's a number of lawsuits. There's some class action lawsuits seeking back dues um, uh, on, on behalf of union members. Uh, in some cases, the litigation has expressed the theory that there were a, a series of cases that cast doubt on the continuing vitality of compulsory, uh, the, the compulsory union dues or fees for collective bargaining, and it should at least go back that far. I think you know whether, however far back the uh, uh, the. Uh, uh, the courts would choose to permit individuals to look back to get those fees. One thing that seems eminently clear, which is that given the Supreme Court's statement that uh, consent is required, uh, attempts to lock individuals in for years in the future without permitting them any reasonable ability to exercise the constitutional rights uh, uh, recognized in Janus 
would seem to be on extraordinarily dubious uh, constitutional grounds. They may be able to attempt to argue some sort of a contract right, but the, in, in that case, it's going up against the constitutional rights that the workers have not to be forced uh, uh, to fund speech with which they disagree. So some of these suits are going back well before the Janus decision for years? Uh, I have seen some some cases that have been filed that make claims uh, that back due should should be established prior to Janus. The case seems clear that going forward from the date of the Janus decision that that somebody who wants to opt out and has has made it known that they no longer wish to have these fees collected, they seem like they're on fairly strong footing to get those uh, that money refunded. And and to that sense, um, so Buckeye has represented a number of different clients, and inter- you know, a number of whom have had had difficulty as the unions began with the position that you would have to adhere to uh, onerous opt out requirements uh, in the contracts, notwithstanding what Janice said. And we've made demands based upon the Janice decision uh, to the unions, and we've had so far, I believe, uh, been succeeded on behalf of three separate clients where the unions went ahead and said that they would go ahead and recognize their Janus rights immediately uh, and stop withholding uh, the union dues immediately, even though they were they were full members. So this legislative session coming up in uh, 2019 for most states, uh, what what's on the agenda there and and how how should states be accommodating laws? Uh, to make sure that unions aren't unduly collecting fees from not only non-members but people who just don't wish to affiliate. Well, you know, one one thing that uh, I certainly have heard bandied about is you know a you know a simple uh, statutory fix to force the unions to recognize. Uh, uh, Janus and get prior affirmative consent uh, going forward, recognizing the change that Janus made uh, and requiring individuals in the state to opt into union membership. Uh, recognizing, of course, that they've got uh, that those workers have a right to affiliate with the union and to speak through the union uh, and to pay union dues for those services, but acknowledging that uh, individuals. Uh, who previously had been had been members of the union may not wish to do so and may wish to avail themselves of those Janus rights uh, and, and prevent the need for uh, uh, for further litigation in order to clarify those rights. Another area that I think you're going to see uh, uh, what I would say is kind of called Janus 2.0. Um, Janice looked at one side side of the the equation, which is the uh, compulsory speech through uh, the forced funding. But interestingly enough, even after the Janice opinion, exclusive representation uh, by unions is the rule in the vast majority of states. I believe 41 states uh, have statutes that uh, vest the unions with the authority once they are the uh, they are certified in the collective bargaining unit, unit. They become the exclusive representative of everyone in that bargaining unit, members and non-members alike. This creates an interesting situation insofar as the non-members are forced to to speak through, to endorse the speech of, and to negotiate through the unions whether they wish to do so or not. 
uh, Justice Alito in the majority opinion in Janus in a couple of places cast pretty serious doubt on the constitutionality of this practice, noting that nowhere else um, uh, would the First Amendment permit this sort of coerced speech as it does in the context of exclusive representation. Um, uh, when we read this, uh, it, it read very much like some of the prior opinions leading into Janus in which Alito had cast, for instance, had cast doubt on the practice of coerced payments for collective bargaining where it constituted political speech, you know, essentially the invitation that brought about the Friedrichs and Janus cases. So we took this as an invitation, in fact, to challenge this unconstitutional practice, and I believe it was a about three hours after the decision came down, Buckeye filed its first law, federal lawsuit challenging exclusive representation. Uh, and we've now filed in three separate federal courts in Ohio, in Minnesota, and in Maine challenging that practice. So to understand in some measure what a problem this is, take, for instance, Kathy Uradnik. Kathy is a client of ours. She is a professor uh, in the Minnesota State University system. Um, her union negotiates for disparate benefits depending upon whether or not you are a union member or are not a union member. So for instance, only union members at the university are permitted to serve on certain key faculty committees. Uh, service on these faculty committees ends up being a one of the uh, primary factors that's considered in decisions including tenure and career advancement. Uh, the committees also end up being uh, uh, instrumental in determining who becomes management at the university. They, they're involved in selecting the deans. They're involved in setting uh, curricula. They are, uh, they are involved in uh, choosing new faculty members. But in all these cases, non-union mem non members are barred from participation in these key committees. Uh, and yet, Professor Uradnik has no choice with regard to whether or not she endorses the speech. As a matter of state law, she is forced to speak through her union. Uh, her union it is by law authorized as the exclusive representative of her with the university on these particular questions. Um, Alito is right. In no other context would the First Amendment permit this kind of intrusion, and we don't believe it permits it here either. And so um, we have filed suit uh, on, on behalf of Professor Uradnik and, and two other individuals, uh, uh, once again, in Minnesota, Ohio, and Maine. Robert Alt is president of the Buckeye Institute. We spoke at the State Policy Network's annual meeting in Salt Lake City. You can subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.